Welcome to the Path 5 Podcast. The Path 5 team is a dedicated group of professionals hailing from diverse backgrounds, all anchored in making the world a safer place. Thanks for joining us while we dive into today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Path 5 Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You could be anywhere in the world right now, but you are here with us, and that's what's important. So our very first episode, we're kicking off with a topic that we really don't necessarily want to talk about, because in some senses, it's almost like beating a a dead horse with a shovel. However, COVID-19 is, for all intents and purposes, ruling our world right now. It really is, whether we want to let it or not. It just is a fact of life right now. However, a lot of things that are captured by mainstream media and other sources really dial in on what's going on with COVID. Are we up? Are we down? Has the curve been flattened? How is it affecting the stock market? But they're really not getting into those second and third order effects that are so huge and so important. And anybody who's been in the military or financial sector, I mean, any myriad of life functions, spend a lot of time looking at these third order effects because they're just, man, they're like that thing waiting under your bed, jump out at you at night. They will just smoke you when you're not looking. So big thing before we jump into episode 1.1, known as ripple effects, COVID second and third order impacts, is I'd like to introduce our team. Many of you viewers or listeners, not viewers. Wow. Speaking of viewers, I think we are going to kickstart our YouTube here in a little bit. But for now, you're listeners. Many of our listeners have probably come to us from some form of social media, most notably Instagram. It's really when we got our start in the social media sector. So if you guys are joining us from there, you probably know what we're all about already. But for some of the newer viewers, the Path 5 team is fundamentally a group of like-minded individuals, all hailing from a wide range of backgrounds, different walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds, but we're all bound by the same ideals and beliefs. And this one overarching goal, which is making the world a safer place. And that is such a loaded term, which inherently supports the complexity of our very small, tight-knit organization. But if you guys can keep those things in mind and keep in mind our overarching goal here, which is to provide you with experience-based assessments and perspective. We are not here to regurgitate what we saw on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. If you guys wanted to go and view opinion-based critique not grounded in experience, please go to Reddit. There's thousands of folks out there just spewing whatever they want to. That's not what we're doing here. We are expanding our own horizons and hopefully taking you with us. For those of you who don't know, I am Midas. That's my call sign. We're going to be using call signs throughout this um, just to protect anonymity's sake. We're not trying to be Call of Duty Airsoft champions. We're just going with the flow here, and that's what we're going to do. I am a recently separated Army officer. I'm now a project manager in the automation industry. I've got multiple trips abroad, including a special operations deployment 
Uh, spent a lot of time working around the South community and decided it was time to get involved in that. Uh, also got kind of ground out by a lot of the uh, different aspects of the Army, especially in the officer community, and decided it was time to do something different. So I recently just uh, stepped out of that a couple months ago. Hi, folks. I'm Bro Neal. I uh, primarily have a background in security with a strong focus on access control design and implementation. I'm currently working as a security officer for the federal government in a major metropolitan area. I'm bringing to the table a good look at what's going on in the streets of major cities across America. Hi folks, I'm Irish, recently separated Army officer just like Midas. Now work as a supply chain consultant in the government and public sector. Spent eight years as Army logistics officer, uh, during which I deployed twice to Afghanistan, uh, supported multiple operations in the Southwest, Southwest Asian AOR. Uh, it's area of operations for those who don't know. Um, and I bring to the table a vast wealth of knowledge in, in supply chain and military logistics operations. Hey guys, this is Da Vinci here, um, an active duty Air Force officer, uh, multiple years of acquisition experience in different arenas such as construction, services acquisition, commodities, um, and large dollar source selections. I bring a more support-oriented role to this, uh, to this team. I have a deployment to Afghanistan in support of special operations and am about to head into another three-year tour with special operations. Excellent, excellent. So uh, as you can see, we've got a, a pretty decent variety of experience on the team. This is just a couple of our members. And uh, you'll get to meet more as we go on with these different episodes and dive into uh, different diverse podcast topics. So sorting through all of these effects that COVID-19 has had on our society. And when I say our society, we are American. However, a lot of these things also pertain to other nations. Uh, Europe, Asia, doesn't matter. Right now, anything that we do say that sounds American-specific, try not to treat it as such. So the number one effect that we've seen with covid apart from those who've actually been infected with the virus and how that's affected their lives, is how has it affected your pocketbook? Stocks are stocks. They're going to go up and down. But a job and the salary and the money that you take home to support your family is such a huge, huge, important factor in your daily life. And COVID has affected that with a lot of people. U.S. unemployment is the highest it's been in I don't even know how long. Decades. Despite the American economy being on such a great increase, now it's been brought to its knees by this virus. And a lot of folks right now who are tuning in, hopefully you're getting back to work, getting back into the fold of things. But we do understand that a lot of you have either lost your jobs or been furloughed temporarily as a result of COVID. And an important thing for you guys to understand is that you're not alone in that. We have fought that fight with you and we will continue to over the next couple of weeks, possibly months. Um, my, my, myself 
I have been furloughed from my job. Keep in mind, this is a job that I joined while I was still technically on active duty. I was on terminal leave, had just left the Army. Uh, technically, I was out in February now, so I'm not even 90 days into my employment, and I was furloughed. I went from, you know, and this is all relative, right? I mean, we're all just grains of sand on the earth in the in the perspective all all time but I went from being somebody who is hailed as being important and being effective and being highly essential to the, the conducting of different operations abroad in a, a very high intensity high intensity atmosphere to being told that I was not needed hey you can uh, go home and by the way we're not gonna pay you and that had a huge effect on my psyche absolutely massive I mean who in their right mind, wants to hear that they're not important. Nobody. It's like this physiological human desire to be necessary. Right? And there I was on the opposite end of the spectrum of what I was used to. So, definitely had a, a big impact on the mental health scene, which we're going to get into a little bit here. And it really forced me to reassess and step back and identify what is important. What's important to me as a, as a human being? How am I going to get by when the money's not coming in? How am I going to support my wife? Uh, and, and once that was established, it was like, how am I going to spend my time in a constructive manner? And that was such a key point. And we're going to get into that as we, as we flow. I think a lot of the team, given our diverse... We'll say career choices at this point. We've seen widespread impacts of COVID, right? A lot of jobless citizens, some widespread anger has been really churning. And a lot of further division has reared its ugly head. You're looking at class division, political division. I mean, political polarization has just skyrocketed as if we thought it couldn't get any worse, right? As a result of COVID. So, Broniel, given your close interactions with a very, very diverse group of people uh, attempting to gain entry to a federal building in Boston, how have you seen this frustration growing? It's been growing regardless of, you know, class or position in the world or wealth. Um, people coming in trying to get you know, help from the federal government are being turned away. Uh, you know, whether it be someone who's a small business owner who's looking to get, you know, assistance through this tough time, all the way to someone who's looking for their social security disability a check. You know, it's it's hitting everyone, and everyone's coming in with an elevated level of frustration. Um, and what we're seeing mainly right now because we are still working but we are working on a reduced staff is that there's been a lot of loss of faith in the homeless centers around Boston in Boston um, they actually went in they did testing widespread testing in uh, mid-April and they they found that 50% of the people staying in these homeless shelters 
actually tested positive, even though that they were completely asymptomatic. So they had screening in place to try and keep COVID out of these homeless shelters, but 50% of their population tests positive with it and none of them have symptoms. So it's been next to impossible for them to fight this and gain some type of traction. Wow. So yeah, this, this major loss of faith in the system has caused all these homeless people who weren't living on the streets to now spill out into the streets. So, you know, a, a lack of citizens walking around, spending money, you know, being out there has just allowed them to take over the streets of Boston. Um, we're going from, you know, one physical altercation per day with the homeless population to anywhere from three to five per day. Um, so we're constantly on our feet, constantly getting out there. And it's, you know, it's a face-to-face -face interaction. We're, we're putting ourselves out there and we never thought we would be. Yeah, of course. And uh, it really gets into uh, a different topic for a different podcast that we have on the horizon, but it really puts a lot of strain on you as a security official because you understand why these people are upset. And I'm not just talking about the homeless population you're interacting with, just day-to-day -day folks. You're like, hey, look, I, I totally understand. You need money for your family. However, I'm not permitted to gain access. Or maybe they're just in the wrong spot. They're not really going about trying to obtain aid in the, the right manner. So you're kind of caught there in the middle. Absolutely. You know, they come looking for answers, and, you know, they're never happy with the answer that they get. Um, when we are in the state that we are, we are completely shut down right now, but it's unfortunate to see, you know, mostly, you know, rational people out there coming in and losing their mind because, you know, some security guard said no, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And that really sheds light on a super important topic. And if there's any takeaways that you guys can get from listening to this podcast, it is this. You've got to understand that we are in this together in our different ways, right? You've got Bruno here. He, he's following his very clearly dictated instructions associated with his job. And in no way, shape, or form can he provide federal aid, right? He's not in that capacity. But you've got people who are inherently becoming adversarial because they're becoming frustrated with him. And therefore, sometimes even getting in physical confrontations. When in reality, you've got to take a step back and understand that people have their roles to play. And resorting to violence and getting frustrated and getting angry... While that's primal, and there are some times when that is perfectly acceptable, this is probably not it. You know, we, we can see this in every walk of life, right? Yes. So I'm sure you and I and everyone else who's listening have friends that, you know, I have a, a good buddy of mine. He's been, he lives in Florida. He's been on unemployment, or he's been trying to get unemployment for two months now and hasn't seen a single check yet. So... It's it's hitting everyone. It's hitting every family. Everyone knows uh, or has seen these impacts on life. And it's just a matter of banding together for this, what will end up being a short piece of your life and making it pushing through and, and prospering once again. 
Exactly, exactly. And, and some of the things that, that Bronia highlighted, this overall frustration seems to be stemming from people understanding that there are chinks in the armor of this supposed system that supports them. Right? Things like unemployment, things like welfare. I've never filed unemployed in my, in my life, but I did. I did last month, and I had to file it for several weeks. And by the way, I was put in the wrong category in their system, and therefore, I was underpaid by about $300 every check. You know, but, but I, I didn't go to the nearest state government building and assault the security officer over it. Of course not. I understand that the system might suck. There's going to be things that are too big to work every time. And these support structures fall into that category. So, Irish, you mentioned seeing this frustration manifest itself in all kinds of walks of life. Do you have any other examples that you'd like to bring up? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, as some of you may know who are listening, in the last couple of weeks, if you're paying attention to Texas newspapers, uh, you would have noticed that a, a young lady by the name of Miss Shelley Luther uh, was recently sentenced to a jail time and has been released since then uh, for opening her business. Now, her business was a hair salon. After about two months of going through this with her employees, she realized, and, and her employees realized that they're not going to be able to support their families. They have you know, husbands, wives, they have kids, they have grandparents, they have parents that they have to support and they have to make some money. So she ended up opening her business a few weeks ago, and after two weeks of receiving cease and desist orders, she very publicly decided to go against that. Right. And, you know, she she was ended up being brought up on charges and arrested. She brought, brought in front of this judge in Texas, and mm -hmm. from what I've read, uh, again, this is just from what I've read because I don't live down there, but there's a back and forth that there's some political motive behind the sentencing that she received. Okay. So... Essentially, the judge uh, told the told Miss Luther that if she admitted her actions were selfish and wrong, and that she would follow the law, she'd be released on the spot. Really, Miss Luther? Really? Yeah. Interesting. Now, Miss Luther on the other side can't admit she's wrong or she's selfish because she's trying to provide for her family, and her coworkers are trying to provide for their families. Sure. So the the most stringent penalty you can receive under that Texas. Uh, executive order mm -hmm. was to receive jail time up to seven days uh, she was fined she received seven days in jail and, and she was incarcerated wow uh, yeah it, it was it was crazy kind of following that uh, but unfortunately fortunately and unfortunately i must say as it was turned into a political stunt on both sides of the game she was released after two days it took the Texas governor to amend his executive order um, to remove jail time as a punishment, and the Supreme Court in Texas overruled the judgment. So she was released after two days. Unfortunately, she had to spend two days in jail. But then you see the political games start bursting out there with sure. Ted Cruz going to get a haircut from her. You know, it's it's a, it's a good move, <laughs> nice move. But at the same time, oh. this this poor woman is just trying to make make some money for her family. Why bring politics into it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. And once again, you know, following the theme of our, our overarching concept behind starting this podcast, like taking a step back, if that local government in Texas had not done anything to enforce said executive order, how would that have made them look? 
that's when we start getting into that that really gray area right it's like there's there's not necessarily right and wrong unless it's applied to a certain perspective which is her want to feed her family perspective local government there hey we have to enforce this executive order for the greater good it's utilitarian and therein lies the debate and a lot of the angst and the frustration, right? It's it's complicated. It gets complicated very quickly. Uh, and that also gets into some of the things that we've been seeing and we've been discussing. Um, just so you guys are aware, a week after COVID-19 became apparent, before it even left Wuhan in the eyes of the mainstream media, right? We were having weekly meetings discussing readiness, making sure the team was taken care of, all our families were straight, we had necessary supplies, we had the means to take care of everybody, just to get ahead of it. So we've been monitoring this on a number of different levels since, let's say, week one. Um, and one of the things that we were discussing and one of the things that we were really looking at and taking a pulse of the situation was how much the government was reacting. And we say the government, I, mean, <laughs> I don't even like that term, right? It's just, it's so ambiguous and vague. What we were discussing was formal government reactions in the form of executive orders. Um, and, and now you've seen businesses almost enacting their own executive orders. Uh, for instance, today I went to the grocery store with my wife and I was met at the door by a strange sign that said, we have placed arrows directing traffic and designated one-way zones throughout our store to further enforce social distancing. And apparently, I mean, some of you guys have seen this in your local areas, but th this was entirely new to me. And it, and it was almost comical. Like, who's there to enforce that? Are they going to have one employee assigned per aisle to be the traffic police? Like... What is going on here? Um, I don't know. Have you guys seen that type of stuff breaking out in your areas? Or, I mean, is this a, an, an anomaly? No, um, I just, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that out here, out west, um, out in Utah yet. We've been fairly fortunate as far as the, the hit rate for COVID out here. But, yeah, I, I just imagine you know, those old school beat cops, you know, with a, with a whistle and, um, a baton, like standing on a soapbox in the middle of the intersection, waving old, old school model T's back and forth. And right, I just yeah. picture a Walmart employee doing that in the middle <laughs> of the aisle, you know, like it's, it's crazy how much, how much is affecting even just a simple thing, like going to the grocery store, you know, that's wild. Yeah. It's, it's bordering on the comical sense in my opinion. There's a, there's a line there, and, and I think that, well, people might mean well that that's a, a GFI uh, that was probably pitched during a staff meeting, and for those of you who don't understand what GFI means, or you're unfamiliar with the term in the military, that means a, uh, excuse my profanity, but a, it's called a good fucking idea, which is sarcasm. It is not a good idea. It's, it's uh, something put out by somebody who's far away from ground level that doesn't quite have that accurate context of what's going on. So, Yeah, we call that person a good idea fairy. Yes, exactly. The good idea fairies are out and about, folks, so, so watch out. I mean, uh, you know, 
it's, it's, it puts you in an awkward spot because then you have to choose which rules am I going to follow today, which ones make sense. And it, it's just, once again, it, it catapults you into that gray area. It's, it's strange. It's very strange. Speaking of strange and weirdness, uh, several of our team, including myself, have had to work from home recently, right? So, Irish, have you had any sorts of uh, dynamic shifts as a result of you working from home? Or, I mean, how has that been? Have you been keeping a regular schedule? You've been video conferencing in a, a suit and tie, and then you got your underwear downstairs? Or how's that been working out? <laughs> yeah, so... We, we've been video conferencing for, for multiple weeks here in the National Capital Region, you know, the epicenter of the federal government. Uh, we were one of the first, I'd say, especially on the East Coast, other than maybe New York City, to, to shut down, so to speak. Um, yep. we, we have meetings multiple times a week, you know, usually a couple times a day, where it's either a voice uh, voice call or, or a video conference. Those standards, you know, are lax. Instead of a suit and tie, you're good with, you know, T-shirt and and jeans and, and whatnot, whatever you're wearing at home, uh, kids in the background. It's it's a dynamic that everyone's dealing with. So it's not a one-off, I'm the only one at home, everyone's dealing with it. What I see is a little bit of a slowdown. And it's not a slowdown of work based off of capability. It's a slowdown of work based on communication. Yes. So in, especially when working in the government public sector, uh, consulting, working through supply chain and, and looking at strategy and, and how to work those pieces you know strategy is a slow beast in and of itself true but once you are no longer in an office with you know seven co-workers to bounce ideas off now it's either a phone call or an email or an im or instant message for for those young kids that don't know what that is and <laughs> what we end up seeing is is and you get a 20 minute to potentially up to a four hour delay because everyone's emailing everyone's instant messaging everyone's calling so that influx of data traffic delays your ability to make those decisions right away. Understanding that, after a few weeks, we were able to get into a rhythm and, and figure it all out. But it's it's a lot different, especially when you don't leave your house that much just to go get groceries and get some fresh air every day. You don't see people. You yeah. don't see your coworkers. Yeah. Um, your your house is now your office. Your commute cut down from 20 minutes to 15 steps. <laughs> right. Uh, and we've all we've all been there. We've all seen it. It's just a matter of how do you continue to keep yourself steady? And that's emotionally, uh, as, as long along with psychologically steady uh, with, with that change. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it almost puts you in a haze, at least for me, right? If I don't leave my house and I'm you know stuck in teleconference meetings and stuck behind my computer screen, it's... It's strange. It's very strange. It's like then you step outside to go check the mail or something, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, I feel like I'm drunk. Just very, very weird feeling um, taking very active folks and, and really sticking them in their houses. So just, just keep that in mind, how that affects you. You know, Only you can be self-aware to that level. But uh, that's a great point. That's a great point. So Da Vinci, being an active-duty military guy, how weird has that been, man? Like, I mean, you're not... You're not marching around your living room in your uniform, you know? Like, a, what? what's your daily rhythm look like? Oh, you don't know that. You don't know that I'm not doing that. that I'm just saying. That's true. That's I true. like, you know, you got to stay on point. But, no, it it has been really weird. Um, 
it's been a it's been a learning curve for all of us and it's definitely poked a lot of holes in our readiness and shown areas where we need to be more prepared whether that's training or supporting the supporting the mission here you know keeping our keeping our planes in the air and um keeping the boys that are overseas making sure that they're supplied with what they need it's you know we we continue to work for for a little bit um after everything kind of started kicking off like mid-april and i think they sent everybody home like the like the 19th or 20th or excuse me mid-march like the 19th or 20th of march i think is when they sent everybody home so we've been we've been working from home for almost two months now and luckily we haven't done any video conferencing so i've been able to practice practice my beard growing uh which is something i didn't think i would be able to do until i retired but yeah it's not very good it's not very good but it'll it'll get better (laughs) hopefully just gotta take your vitamins and get more sleep it'll come in yeah that's right that's right You brought up a good point I want to touch on before you get a little bit farther in there. Sure. And that's the the weakness that we see when we say weaknesses. Um, I'm talking more along the lines of the supply chain logistical piece of that. Yeah, so absolutely. As, as a global economy and not as a military uh, person, what we're looking at and, and what we've seen is that, that especially medicinal-wise, we've seen a, a huge, huge, huge pull on what is available. And our global economy doesn't necessarily have the ability to support a massive global pandemic like we're seeing right now. And that's because you look at some countries like like China, they have the edge in the market for pharmaceuticals. You don't see that in the United States. You don't see, we don't, we're not producing our own medicines and we might not have the natural resources to create it. So how do you look at that to hedge your bets for later on? So we're gonna have to look toward the future here soon. Yeah. So how do we hedge our bets and change how fundamentally how we import and export goods? We're going to have to spend more money, all the countries are, in order to create some sort of backup plan in case something like this pops up again. We see with, with natural gas and oil, we started pumping that out months ago, and, and everybody made the joke about it. But you know, at one point, the, the futures for a barrel of, of, of gas was, was below the dollar. Is it yeah. a negative threshold? Yeah. Um, some people see that as a weakness, but some people see that as an ability for us as the United States to continue to prosper and, uh, while, while we're in, in the midst of a, a crisis. So we're going to have to look at that across all, all walks of life um, for everything we need day to day, whether it's food, textiles, toilet paper for all those out there that kill, still can't find toilet paper on the shelves, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that is a great point. Um, I'm seeing that at work right now. Like, uh, when I got back to work last week, they're like, Hey, uh, welcome back. Here's a over $20 million project that you are now the PM for. Oh, by the way, it revolves around COVID testing kits. I was like, okay, awesome. That's great. Now I get to, you know, I get to jump back into the arena. Now I can, uh, actually have an effect on what's going on outside. And then I found out that, uh, the supplier that we were going to work through, their logistics supply lines are absolutely cut, right? I mean, it would take them 12 weeks to deliver something that would have taken them two before. So now I had to rework all my timelines and shift all that out. And now 
tomorrow morning when I hop back into a teleconference call, we're, we're scrambling. We're trying to figure it out. So I'm definitely, definitely feeling that on a personal level as well. So that's a great point. Um, another point I want to hit on, I don't want to dwell on it, that you mentioned, Da Vinci, was keeping our planes in the air. Right, Because we, as a nation, having a standing peacetime military, have a certain standard of readiness. I'm sure we've all sat through those maintenance meetings, right? pacing items, ERK A, ERK P. Oh my God, I never want to hear that again. But the reality of it is, is that we do have to maintain a certain level of readiness. Because, let's face it guys, when you're a superpower or any power in any region of the world, when's the prime time to get hit? When you're suffering from a pandemic or just a a natural disaster, I mean, you name it, anything that makes you vulnerable has a really big effect on your defense strategy. So... I know that we've been doing our best as a nation to maintain readiness. I've seen some traffic, some battalions in the Army think that uh, that means having soldiers drive by them in a parking lot to verify they've shaved. But, God damn it, people, shaving does not have to do anything with readiness. God, just, I know I just made some Star Major's heads explode, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> but honestly... Uh. You know, that can be a topic for another time. Um, before you go, before you go on, you bring up a good point and kind of tying into everything that y'all have just said. Looking at the readiness factors and China and vulnerabilities, I mean, this is a totally different podcast topic that I don't want to dive too deep into. But if y'all listening have not heard what's going on in the South China Sea with China taking advantage of where we are at as a planet, and especially the United States, as we're the hardest hit right now in in terms of coronavirus and COVID, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, they're they're having they're they're taking advantage. They see we're crippled, we're not ready, and they're trying to take control of the South China Sea, and you know that's not just planes flying, but also ships floating, submarines, submarining, you know, we want to make sure that all those things are still working because we do need to respond to that threat. And we have been, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. I'll let you guys look it up on your own listeners. Cause it's a really interesting situation going on down there right now because China has taken advantage of, of this lag in where we're at as a, as a country and also as a, um, as a coalition, you know, with our allies in the region. So they take a look at that and, uh, hopefully we'll be able to address it at a, at a later podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just a concept. It's real. It's happening now. So wrap your minds around that. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So Brony, obviously you are unable to protect the federal building. Um, in your boxers, in your house. So how has that really affected your, your workflow? I mean, are you, are you in overdrive? You know, I mean, fighting four four people a day can get pretty tiring. Are they giving you additional hours or what does that look like? 
you know, it's it's interesting. We're um, our our hours have been uh, cut multiple times. So there's folks that were working their 40 and then also putting in another 20, 30 hours a week in overtime, bringing home pretty fat checks and enjoying that. And a lot of guys made the mistake of not living on their base pay, but living on their overtime. Um, and it's caused a lot of issues for guys. Uh, luckily, most of the guys that I know have been able to reach out and get some support through unemployment for their reduced hours. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely it's definitely changed the uh, level of motivation at work. Uh, although the the job to do has been ramping up. For me personally, I'm I'm down to two and a half or yeah two and a half days per week, where I was working six days a week before. Oof. So my time opened wide up. Yikes. I'm I'm very lucky that uh, I had a trade before I started a, a real job. Uh, I paid for all my books through college by turning wrenches on cars. So I've been able to help out the neighborhood. You know, just simple stuff, oil changes, and that's that's keeping. Awesome. A little bit of extra cash in my pocket, but yeah, it's it's been pretty insane. Just going in my uh, my twelve minute commute is now four and a half. I zip <laughs> right into the city; it's no issue. Yeah. Still put the plate on, still put the duty belt on, get out there. But you know, it's it is definitely a different different world. Instead of uh, seeing people, you know, walking around, going into bars, going into all these restaurants, everything's shut down and really the majority of people that are walking around are you know, either on something or without a home. So it's uh it's been a kinetic environment, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. I really enjoy hearing your stories, uh especially the one about the poop in the X ray machine, but that'll be for another time. Um, so a lot of these things that we've already into, sorry, dove into over this podcast revolve around frustration as a, a second order effect from COVID, right? It's there. Everyone sees it. We feel it. So what does that really mean from a counterterrorism perspective? Looking at this, there is a high potential for radicalization right now. Radicalization is fundamentally the process that takes a normal person, everyday run-of-the-mill Joe, and turns them into a threat. A lot of the criteria surrounding that revolves around unemployment. It revolves around where they're getting their information from, right? What are they learning? Who are they learning it from? Um, are they learning it from radical clerics? Are they spending time in madrasas? How much of the population of that area is unemployed? How much of them are military-age males? All these things go into play when you're looking at a radicalization matrix associated with an area. However, we are now basically all satisfying a lot of those conditions. So the only thing that's going to set us apart from somebody who becomes a threat in a statistic and is not producing anything productive or constructive for society or for their families or their loved ones is your mental state of mind. So something that we've been seeing recently, um, it's, it's not an outright 
form of radicalization, but it can certainly be a vessel of radicalization due to the, the mob mentality that can easily develop as a result of being in groups full of energy and going against something that you do not believe in, also known as protesting. It's something to be aware of, guys. We're not saying that being a protester means you're radicalized. Not at all. But it is something to keep in mind. Just to make sure you're not swept away with a wave of all these other people's emotions around you. You want to stay true to your own thought processes and your own emotions. Just want to make that clear before we go down this road. So one of the things that we've been seeing, guys, that we want to discuss today is different protests at various state houses. We understand why you're angry. We just covered that. But what we do not understand is how protesting at a state house to get your job back and to get the economy kickstarted involves plate carriers and weapons. LARPing does not build respect. It doesn't. It makes people who are real not recognize you, right? Real recognize real. It also makes people who do not understand and who have not owned a weapon or do not have a plate carrier in their trunk or are not one of the armed and ready understand and want to become armed and ready. It creates a barrier of fear. So in my honest opinion, the situation at hand does not call for plate carriers, right? This is not the time to boog. And don't get me wrong, Claymore Roomba is definitely something that I would like to have roaming around my house. It's pretty sweet. However, this is not the time, this is not the place, okay? A state government telling you that you cannot go to work does not equate to British taxation and the frickin' Boston Tea Party. Okay, it's not the same, guys. Take a step back, apply some context and perspective, and understand that, please. Responsible gunnership, gun ownership does not incite fear. It educates, and it shows people who are afraid of weapons, hey, guys, this is why I own a firearm, this is how it's good. This is how it supports my family. And this is why it should be legal. So some of you might ask, what about the success in the Richmond 2A rally? That's a great, great question. So for the Path 5 team, what do you guys have to weigh in on that? Yeah, so I'll jump in here first as a, uh, as a Virginia resident. It's a time and a place function when you protest, right? So you're protesting for your jobs, you're protesting for your livelihood. It's not the time to bring an agenda that's irrelevant at this point. Yes, I'm all for that pro 2A stuff. I, I own multiple firearms, multiple uh, compound bows. I, I like shooting all the time, I love hunting. But the Richmond 2A rally to the Second Amendment and, and some of the laws that our governor was trying to impose on the state of Virginia. What you saw there was a lot of fear mongering, right? A lot of times and a lot of a lot of newspapers, a lot of personnel out there believe that there's going to be another Antifa type rally following on violence, people getting shot. 
there's all these guns out there, run away, be scared. But what you ended up seeing was a very peaceful protest. And, and it really put a nice spotlight on the, the firearm owning community. What we don't want to see is regression from the steps that we've made from there, right? The, the, the common sense gun laws that, that were, were implemented or that are implemented across the country are fine. Yeah, I get a background check every time I, I purchase a firearm. Uh, you know, a, a record of my purchase goes to the local law enforcement. That's fine. I'm not I'm not required to register in, in the state of Virginia, but they know I purchased a firearm. Sure. What we don't want to see is, is those those people out there that are using those brandishing firearms as a way to get what they what they think they need. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Showing up at the Michigan State House with your uh, fupa coming out from underneath your thirty dollar plate carrier is probably not going to incite Governor Whitmer to step back and think about how much her executive order has impacted the automotive industry, right? That is not a logical progression. It's not a logical leap. So what we're saying here is make sure that your involvement is proportional and that it's within context. That's a key, key point. And moving further, another effect of COVID and this frustration and this angst and a lot of these people waking up and realizing, hey, I've got 800 rolls of toilet paper stored in my basement. What if my neighbor finds out? How am I going to defend that? Right? A little bit uh, of an exaggeration. However, there has apparently been a large surge in gun sales as a result of COVID-19, which puts us in a really interesting point to build off of that momentum that Irish brought up coming off of the Richmond 2A rally. Very interesting times in that regard. Broniel, what have we been looking at for sales figures and background checks as a result of COVID-19? So sales figures, tough thing to nail down. Um, a yes. lot of states do allow for private person-to-person -person transfers that don't have a 4473, which is the, the ATF form that goes along with a next background check, um, which Irish touched upon whenever you buy a gun from a federally licensed dealer, they do have to run a next background check through the FBI. It's a quick process. I won't get into, you know, what I think the flaws in NICS are, but it's also a good metric to see how many new firearms have been purchased or how many NICS background checks have been conducted. Um, in February of 2020, we saw around 2.8 million NICS background checks. Okay. Now, that's not astonishingly high. Um, anywhere from the high 1 million area, low to mid, is relatively normal over the past 10, 15 years. But March 2020 comes around. Right. 3.7 million Nick's background checks. Mm. It's nearly a million more in one month. Yeah. That's a massive, massive surge. Now, this is the first time in the U.S. that we've had Nick's background checks go over three million in one month since the system was adopted back in the late 90s. Right. It's... it's 
you know, it's pretty shocking to see just in one month over a million more guns have been sold than are normally sold. More than 9-11 when we yeah. were attacked by terrorists as a nation. That's incredible. Yeah, more than, more than 9-11, more than, you know, when we elected a, a Democrat to be our leader, people were freaking out saying Obama's going to take our guns, which, like, it's <laughs> not really what happened, but um, sure, sure. You know these. There are always driving factors that you know you can you can kind of chart and see how the gun communities reacted to this. But this is not just people who already own firearms and are like realizing, yeah, hey, I do have a lot of TP and I have a lot of freeze dried food, you know. But Larry down the street might find out about that. I you know I gotta get more guns. It's a lot of first-time gun buyers. Yeah, yeah, which is such a double-edged sword. It really is. On one hand, it's it's great, right? Because we want to expand people's understanding of firearms. And fundamentally, we want the average, good-natured, hard-working person to possess the means to protect themselves and their family. Of course and we if, do. And if I could jump in, uh, let us... What Bronio brings up is important because what we're seeing, especially in a lot of reports coming out of California, is a lot of regular citizens who are not pro 2A firearm owners don't understand the rules and the steps you have to go through in order to procure a firearm. Right. There were multiple reports coming out of California, and I use California as an example. It's one of the most strict uh, when it comes to, to getting a firearm. Yes. People trying to pay extra money to overrule the 10-day waiting period after you purchase it. Uh, people thinking that they could just go out in, in, in the streets and legally, and I, I make sure I say legally, legally purchase a firearm, they realize they can't do that. Exactly. So it, it definitely shines a light on what a lot of people don't understand is that there are a lot of regulations that, that govern our ability to, to purchase a firearm. And now they're learning firsthand Oh crap! Maybe we don't want a ten-day waiting period. What if this happens again? Right. Absolutely. And at at the end of the day, you know, regardless of their opinions, at least they're subjected to it, which is it's a good thing. It's positive. It, it shows that not every wacko in Yahoo can just go over to the gun store and and walk out with a duffel bag full of ARs. Right. There's there's things in place whether you agree with them or not, that prevent that from happening. Um, you know, and the big thing is, and you hit on it perfectly, you said there's a lot of first-time gun owners out there. And I think that's a reasonable statement. Which comes along with a high level of responsibility for these first-time gun owners. Uh, nobody on the Path 5 team purchased a firearm during this period. We didn't. We're already set. We're ready to go. Right, so we're we weren't really out there waiting in lines, stretched around the block waiting for guns, but a lot of people were. And when they obtained those guns, what did they do with them? They probably went on YouTube. Let's be honest, guys. When you buy anything new, I, I bought a new fishing rod this weekend. I wasn't sure exactly what depth I wanted to hit it at with the copper line. I went on YouTube and I read about it. Those are the two things that occurred, and that's what these folks are doing. They're they're trying to figure out how do I safely operate this weapon. 
and they're really coming to grips with that ultimate responsibility of having life or death in your hand. Training is important, folks. Training is really important. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there. And I'm not saying that YouTube is not sufficient. It might be if that's your learning style. If it's not and you perform more hands-on and you're really unsure of yourself, then I highly suggest that you contact a local gun store, probably the one that you bought the weapon from, and figure out if there's any sorts of even concealed carry permit classes, even if you don't have the intent of getting a concealed carry permit, just to gain familiarity and comfort with your weapon. It's so important, guys. So important. And we've seen this on every single level from especially in the military, from people who their first time ever touching a gun was basic training to tier one operators. Yeah, Midas, that's a good point as far as training goes, because I think a lot of people imagine folks in the military know how to handle a weapon and they don't. I think I've had maybe nine hours total of firearms training since joining the military 12 years ago. One was basic training. Another was um, kind of a interval training and then right before a deployment. So nine, nine hours total in 12 years of service. And what he means folks is he, he's talking about nine hours of actual formalized, like fully endorsed training from the air force, <laughs> right? Which is absolutely abominable given the, the situation they sent him out into with us. But obviously, we, we took that number and, and transformed it exponentially, and, and now he's fully up to speed. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the reps and practice. And it's not, it's not something that's just going to come naturally. I mean, even for guys that have been doing it for years. I mean, Midas and I were, we were, we were doing a personal security detail for um, the Undersecretary of Defense for counter-narcotics. We were uh, deployed in Afghanistan at the time. And this column of, you know, suburban armored vehicle, a bunch of suburbans armored up, they roll into our compound and everybody's got their plate carriers on. I mean, it was a real deal. And this tier one guy, JSOC, you know, Joint Special Operations Command operator, you know, those guys are not immune <laughs> to uh, either lack of training or mistakes. I mean, this guy hops out of the front door, goes around to open the rear door for our diplomat. And the compound must have been specifically built <laughs> to accentuate the acoustics of that spot. Because when that dude accidentally dropped his mag out of his weapon, it sounded like, it sounded like a, negligent discharge i mean it's everybody just stopped and stared at the guy and he kind of stopped and stared at everybody yeah and it yeah. was oh it was just cringe man it was it was rough i felt bad for the guy i really did yeah yeah i think one of the jokes too in the army is like nothing's louder than someone dropping their rifle in a parking lot right when you're in formation but i swear <laughs> to god that was louder that was so loud and I looked at him and grinned a little bit, and he looked at me, and he grinned a little bit, and we were like, all right, bro, 
that was our that was our mental telepathy. We're like, way to go, guy. Way yeah. to go. It's like, all right, everybody, just rewind. Pretend that didn't happen. I'm gonna pick this up, put it back in my weapon, and just move along. Yeah, yeah, and we talked later. I spent some time chatting with him because uh, we were waiting for their meeting to get over with while we were going to do the handoff again. And he was a legit dude. He probably schwacked many people. But yeah, for some for reason, sure. that second of that day, his finger hit the mag release when it should have been resting on the trigger guard. <laughs> or above the trigger guard. And he just, oh, man, it, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah, and that's a great point, guys. Even if you think you've got training or you feel somewhat comfortable with a weapon, there's never enough. Never enough. All right. Yeah. So, have you guys seen any limitations on ammunition as a result of this? Because I sure as shit had. I ordered 1,000 rounds of 9 mil just to plus up, and... It took about three weeks to get to my house, which uh, in a real world situation, if things were really collapsing society-wise, that'd be game over, right? Absolutely game over. Um, did I need those rounds to survive? No, but it was, uh, it was a pretty lengthy wait time on that. So something to keep in mind if you see this stuff breaking loose in the future, just really try to get ahead of it. Um, don't get caught up in the hype. Just make sure you have what you need to protect your family and your friends and proceed from there. Quick thing on that. Just like you said, it's it's not just, you know, the supplies that you needed from the company on the project that you're working on right now. It's everything. It's ammo. It's food. It's Amazon packages taking longer. It. You really got to realize how something like this is going to affect, you know, second and third order stuff. Absolutely. Yep. The ripple effects are real. No doubt about that. And a lot of these ripple effects have stemmed directly from media influence. So we're going to challenge you guys to something. But trust me, I grew up watching CNN. Um, it, it was just, it was a way of life at that point. You know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, equal doses of each, trying to figure out what is going on in the world. I was a young guy really curious mind, trying to learn and trying to stay up on topics. Um, at that time, I'd say it was an excellent source. Now, not so much. Not so much. There's a lot of political influences on a lot of different mainstream media. And regardless of all that, right, guys, we don't need to get into political polarity. We all know it's there. We know it exists. But looking at the actual goals of media... How do they make money? More views. How do you increase your views? You create panic. You magnify things that are going to get the people going. Right? They don't even know what it means, but it's provocative. Right? They simply do not have our best interests at heart. They simply do not. It's about dollars, it's about ratings, it's about viewers. All that stuff gets them more advertising. Companies pay higher for advertising on broadcasts that are heavily viewed. Keep that in mind, guys. Don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in. Take everything that you hear from these mainstream sources with a grain of salt. 
sitting there watching Plandemic, you got to take that with a grain of salt too. Don't get all worked up. All right, guys, control your world. Control your world. I had an E7 tell me that many years ago. He said, look, man, you want to get your hands around everything and make sure everything is working out properly, but just control what you can. And the, that voice and those words ring in my head every single day. Control your world. Also, one thing to note, the whole team has a lot of examples about improper use of PPE, guys. So let's just run down some things real quick for you. If you're wearing masks in public in accordance with CDC's current guidelines, don't take your mask up off your face to pick your nose. Or as a, a man did behind me today in line at the grocery store, took his mask off to talk incredibly loudly to a distant relative on a certain Caribbean island. I'm pretty sure he spit on the back of my neck. Don't do that. <laughs> Just don't. All right. Think about why the PPE is being worn. Think about the common sense reasons behind it and execute as such. Please look out for the people around you. Now, this has been, an, this has been a long one. It's heavy. It's deep. We could have spent hours sitting here chatting with you guys. We really could have. These are big time issues that are having big time effects on our lives. So just to get a quick recap of some of our bigger points here, guys, try to be objective. Take a step back. Look at what's going on. Understand people's roles within our current construct of the social norms that we're living within. Don't make it an us versus them thing. A lot of people throwing around the G word right now, the government this, the government that. Be a little more objective. It's gray right now, guys. It's gray. Trying to make it black and white is not going to produce the most accurate effects. It just isn't. Okay. Try to get outside. Do something that you and your soul enjoy. For me... I went out, got a fishing kayak. I've been fishing my ass off the last three weeks. It's been awesome. It's been so nice being out on the water. I don't have to interact with people. I don't have to listen to the fear mongering. I'm out there just enjoying my time. Do things like that, folks. Do constructive things that help you reconnect with certain aspects of your life that maybe you haven't had time to connect with. If there's one thing that we have a lot of right now, folks, it's time. If you're working from home, you got time. It might be chaotic on a different level, but you have more time than you used to. What did Bronyel say? His commute time is drastically cut. Yours might be as well. Use that time effectively. Try to capitalize on it, folks. There's a lot of positives here. There's a lot of pros. So we just really encourage you to focus on that. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're going to roll these out just about every two weeks. As long as our life situations allow, roll with us through this process. We're new to this podcast thing. We're going to get better at it with your help. Please leave us constructive criticism and feedback. We're super objective. We know where we screw up. It's okay. We're not perfect. Neither are you. We are here to broaden horizons, folks, and educate those who just simply might not know. But the fact that you're here 
And your listening means that you want to know. And because of that, you need to take some time, give yourself a pat on the back, go get some ice cream, do something, because you're way ahead of people who are not being productive during this time. Also, a special thanks to my team. They're busy dudes. They've got a lot on their plate for taking the time to sit down and talk with you guys and to discuss these topics with me. If you don't already, folks, if you can take some time out of your day, follow us on Instagram. Hit us up on the social media. That is our number one way of interfacing with our fans, our followers, our critics, all the above. You can track us down at path underscore five and spell out the number five. That's F-I-V-E for you Marines. All right. So thank you guys so much for your time. <laughs> we really appreciate you. Please hit us up. We uh, definitely like to express ourselves with images. We've got some interesting stories attached to some of those images. And we're going to show you guys how we're getting through the COVID. I almost said crisis. It's not even a crisis. It's a situation. Okay. It's a situation that you can handle through being positive and constructive. Thank you so much for your time. We'll see you next time.